Hello again. It's me. So, this is going to be part five of our Black History Month celebration. And let me tell you, um, that story I told last time about my time in school, um, it really just digs up something very old within me, a very, a very deep pain that I've tried to bury. <laughs> Those times were very difficult, I'm sure, for all of us that were in that situation, and Man, it is, it is just one of those things um, that really still hurts to this day. Um, being pushed aside by the educational system and forgotten and nobody, nobody really cared what happened to us, you know? It's very sad. Very sad. So, you know, you can, you can only hope that things aren't like that now. Um... God, I, I, I certainly hope so, that young people aren't going through the same thing I went through. Um, that would be awful. But, I don't know. If anyone does have similar experiences like that, I would definitely love to hear about those things. Because it is it does really, for the rest of your life, you feel separate from everyone else. Um... Everyone has these wonderful memories from their their youth in school. And everyone talks about, man, if I could only go back to those days. Well, for me, I don't want to go back. Um, it's too painful. And I'm just so happy that I can... Almost every year that I grow older, I get farther away from that horrible time in my life, and it is a comforting thing, let me tell you. So, yeah, sorry for starting off on such a sad note, but um, this is the nature of these things, and we cannot forget about them. I don't know, I'm rambling at this point. Anyway, I'm really racking my brain to see if I have any other stories like like what I've been telling. Um, you know, I'd really have to give it some thought. These are things that are, like I said, I bury them deep and I try to forget because it is just so sad and miserable that time of my life was. Um, so let me just try to think of something here. Okay, I thought of something. So this is really interesting about the area in which I grew up. Now, it was a small town, um, mostly cornfields, stuff like that. Um, people, people weren't um, adventurous in any definition of that word. Um, not at all, not in any way. Um, people were very stuck in their ways, actually, um, unless you were young, unless you were my age, um, then, of course, you were a little more 
open-minded about things. But the adults, it really seemed um, that they had that kind of thing going on. So something I, I do want to say, um, the, reason, the reason I have this perspective, the reason I have this nonchalance, when it comes to racial things, I, I don't tend to care if somebody is black or white. Um, and I, I also didn't, as a child, it, it really never really crossed my mind. Um, and, and really, that was, that was the theme. That was the the way of thinking where I grew up, um, you, you didn't really, it wasn't like openly super hardcore racism. No. What it was, was this wishful thinking, this feeling of, well, you know, all that drama in the past, that's over with now. Um, and that, that was really reflected in that teacher I told you about, right? She was convinced that racism was dead. And this was the idea. This, this was the, the thing, is that people believed that and they didn't want to think that anything was wrong. Um, and it, it was very much... And, and that rubbed off on me as a child. Um, without anybody telling me that, I picked up on it subconsciously and also believed it. I believed that there were no issues or problems in the world of that thing, of that, of racism, of that sort. Um, I didn't believe this because I thought it was over as well. And, um, turns out that attitude towards it is kind of a subtle way, a, a subtle racism in a way, because you're denying it. Anyone who is outspoken about it and tries to say otherwise is kind of shunned and in a way they are, um, what's the word? I can't think of the word, but it's it's basically this denial of, no, there's nothing wrong, and if you say there's something wrong, uh, you're lying, and you're trying to get attention, and all, all this, all this bullshit, basically. So that, that was my same attitude about it. As a child, you, you are taught these things by the adults in your life their ideals rub off onto you, um, yeah, that, that just happens, you know? Um, and what, what made it so easy for me to kind of switch that off as I got older was, um, I can keep the nonchalance towards people, you know? I'm not reactionary. I'm not um, aggressive towards people who don't look like me. I 
I am very calm around anyone. And that's a wonderful thing to have. Uh, no fear. If there's no fear, then there's no hate. So that's a really wonderful thing that I kept. Um, and then I was able to switch it by saying, actually, there is racism in this world. And um, I do acknowledge that. And I, I agree, of course. Of course there is. I, I had finally seen... My eyes were opened, okay? <laughs> I don't know. I'm terrible with words. Um, yes, so, so that's, that's kind of the switch that I made. And I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to do that because I, I don't know. It, it just makes my life so much easier not being a hateful person like that. I can't, I can't imagine hating a group of people like that. It, it must take so much energy out of you. It, it must become your whole entire life. It must define you. And there must be nothing left of you except hate. You know? What a sad life to live. Um, I, that, that never grew on me like that. And I, I'm so grateful. I, I don't know. It, it, everything just kind of fell into place. Once I found the internet, once I started looking up things and seeing posts on Tumblr, like I had mentioned before, um, everything just kind of clicked and I understood but I was able to keep that, that calm within me. Like, no, no one's out to get me. Everything's all right. Um, I don't feel threatened by people who don't look like me. Um, but I do acknowledge that there are other people who are afraid of people who don't look like them. And that's a very sad existence to live. Because I, I imagine um, you'd, you'd be in fear almost every day of your life. Because when are you not going to encounter people like that? Unless you're incredibly isolated, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just one of the good things that came out of all this was, was that, basically. And I just wanted to tell you about that, basically. God, I know I'm having so much fun so far. I know this episode has just been all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> I'm aren't you aren't you smiling ear to ear right now? Aren't you just the happiest you ever been? Um now we are on what page are we on? Out of 80 or sorry, 48 uh results. 48 pages. We are on page 16 here of the black characters tag on Archive of Our Own. Of course, in incognito, what else would it be? Um, and our first result here is of a linear circle part. I don't know because I can't read um, Roman numerals. By Flamethrower, Harry Potter fanfiction here. 
Um, oh my, this has a lot of tags, so let me just pause this real quick. Okay, basically we have Jewish character, people of color characters, characters of color, and lavender brown is, in all caps, not white. So, summary reads, You can do a lot in two months. An ex-portrait and the man who made a deal with death both excel at this, possibly to the regret of everyone swept up in their wake. Oh no, this is in French, I think. I can't read that. Um, Dungeons et Gur by Max Macaroo. Um, hang on. Sorry, never mind. This is a non-con in the tag, so we're not going to be reading that. Efflu, sorry, Effulgence, Effulgence by Zilkin. This is an Overwatch video game fanfiction. Has black characters in the tags. She thinks it started with the sun, this fascination of hers with saving the world. Impatience is an undermined virtue by Trascendenza. This is a psych uh, fanfiction. Black character, characters of color in the tags there. Uh, italics, Mira had tried to rally them, but they'd shaken their heads, waving her on, apparently knowing it wouldn't be any use to try to talk her into staying. Next one's fan art, so we can't read that. Made Room by Soul Music. This is a Captain America, uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier fanfic. Um, in the tags, we have black characters, black female character. Um, the Avengers are all in love with black women because I said so. Summary says, quote, he thought that maybe there wasn't any room left. Maybe he was done making room. Maybe this was it. And then he met her. Dead Bones by Wicked Wayward Warrior. This is a supernatural um, fan fiction. In the tags, we have black characters. And that's it. When Sam jumped into the pit with Michael and Lucifer, Dean and Reader took a year off from hunting to focus on saving Sam and, and themselves. Dean allowed himself to love and trust someone else, and Reader got a glimpse at what normal could feel like. When Sam returned, their sense of normalcy erupted and they broke up. Now, a year later, they both find themselves struggling with life alone. Radiance of Attraction by Playa Playa. This is an American football RPF fanfic. In the tags, it says black characters, black reader. Um, yes. Where Odell finds a mermaid. The reader is a mermaid and celebrity is her soulmate and she follows him around. She enters the human world to follow him. She tries to adjust to the human modern world. At the end, by more Eavis, Moriavis. This is The Losers 2010 fanfic. In the tags, we have black male character, male character of color, character of color, uh, Mexican character, P 
POV character of color, POV male character. Um, summary reads, with no one else in the world, Cougar and Roke turn toward each other. Stay With Me by Love Fandoms 828. This is a Grand Theft Auto V fanfiction. Um, and the tags, it, black characters, that's it. Loving and fighting, accusing, denying, I can't imagine a world with you gone. The joy and the chaos, the demons were made of, I'd be so lost if you left me alone. I pull you in to feel your heartbeat. Can you hear me screaming? Please don't leave me. Hold on, I still want you. Come back. I still need you. Let me take your hand. I'll make it right. I swear to love you all my life. Hold on, I still need you. A long, endless highway. You're silent beside me. Drive in a nightmare I can't escape from. Helplessly praying. The light isn't fading. Hiding the shock and the chill in my bones. Hold on, I still want you. Gotta Put Up With The Rain by Radio Absurd. Say Love Victor TV 2020. High School Musical The Series TV uh, fan fiction. Oh my, it has a lot of tags, so I'll be right back. Okay, basically out of all of those tags, it's just uh, the black character's tag. Quote, love hurts, Andrew. Most times it's a good pain, but sometimes it's a bad pain. Just know when you find the one, it'll be because the good pain makes the bad pain worth it. He turned around, kissed Andrew on the head, and left. Andrew was over the moon for two weeks, and he completely forgot to ask his dad what bad pain was. He figured it out all on his own when he met Mia. Turns out his dad was right. It was worth it just to see her smile at him and to see the way her brown eyes sparkled at him underneath the moonlight. It has to be, or a small piece of Andrew's life before meeting Victor, or, or, the shenanigans, heartaches, and childhood of Andrew plus Mia. The Cyborg and the Soldier by Mikey Maggie. This is a, oh my, very many crossovers here. We have Star, Wo- Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Star Wars All Media Types, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Justice League, Throne of Atlantis, Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox, Justice League War, and Teen Titans, the animated series, fan fiction. In the tags, we have black characters, black in fan fiction. Um, that is it. Yes. Victor Stone had been through a lot since becoming a cyborg. He can't feel anything. His father pretty much ignores him, and he's still trying to figure out what he is exactly. But when his father's invention transports him to a galaxy far, far away, he'll meet up with an ex-stormtrooper named Finn, who realizes that the two aren't that different. Bubble Dragons by Emily Fleur. This is a Harry Potter fic. In the tags, we have Indian Harry Potter, Black Hermione Granger. That's it. Quote, I don't steal anyone's voices. I make my own. Thousands of students pass through Hogwarts. This is the story of a girl that creates many more. 
Don't Stop the Music by Mori Avis. This is another The Losers 2010 fic. Um, in the tags, we have canon character of color, male character of color, female character of color, black male character, Mexican character. A compliment for Shurherzad, Losers Big Bang. Get out here and kick ass like the losers. Blame It on Isa by Poetic Justice. This is an insecure TV fanfiction. In the tags, we have black characters, female character of color, male character of color, black romance. That's it. Chapter 1, Molly and Lawrence find comfort in each other after they both have an argument with Isa. Chapter 2, continuation of chapter 1, well, yeah, <laughs> Isa comes into the story. Oh, our next one is uh, Gangsta with a heart emoji by Love Fandoms 828. This is a Grand Theft Auto V fanfiction. And this has a very many uh, tags in it, so I will be right back. Okay, and in our tags we have original male characters of color, characters of color, five male OCs that are all black, black characters. Quote, I need a gangsta to love me better than all the others do. To always forgive me, ride or die with me, that's just what gangsters do. Slight rewrite of my other fanfiction, Your Body. After an urging desperation for money, Lamar Davis would do anything for it, including becoming a part of a gang and then being a male escort. After meeting a notorious gang leader named Riley, Lamar finds himself becoming Riley's social target as their friendship becomes the most important thing, but what happens when romantic feelings get in the way? Lamar X male OC Franklin X male OC. By the way, I wrote this with one of my close friends, B. And this is part three of GTA V fanfics with OCs of mine. Lords of the Underground by Babadook Babe. The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit fanfiction here. Um, there's a lot of text, so hang on. Alright, basically we have LGBTQ character of color, characters of color, and black characters. Merkwood was a great town, it really was. There were lots of wooded areas, the residents liked to party a lot, and there was a disproportionate amount of reported spider infestations in the residencies. Not that Arwen minded, she loved spiders. Modern AU where our main characters are all piney goths and everyone else is amused. Scenes from Two Lives Converged by Venus in the Night for Gilded Pleasure. This is an elementary TV fanfiction. In the tags, we have interracial relationship, canon character of color, black characters, Asian American character. That's it. 
6221B style slices of life in an AU where Joan and Marcus are nearly lifelong friends. King Kill My Walls by Perpetual Spinster. This is a Marvel Black Panther 2018 fanfiction. We have black characters. Um, yes. After Eric ingests the heart-shaped herb after his battle with Chella, winds down before meeting with tribal leaders. And our last one, A Girl Like You by Desiree Parker 20. This is a The Mandalorian Star Wars fanfiction. We have black characters, female character of color. Uh, yes. Young Moff Gideon and his sweetheart find comfort by a fireside before he starts his new job. Our very first result is number 17. Lords of the Underground by Babadook Babe. This is a this is not rated at all. Um, F slash F F slash M M slash M. It is a Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit uh, fan fiction. And in the tags, we have LGBTQ character of color. Characters of color and black characters. Uh, this is relatively short. Oh, uh, author's notes. This is my first fanfic on AO3 ever. And it all started with post-punk 80s love songs and a fierce love for those these characters. I have not written in years, so we'll see how all this goes. If there are any additional tags needed, please let me know. The rating may be subject to change. Chapter 1, Spellbound. Merkwood was a great town, it really was. There were lots of wooded areas, the residents liked to party a lot, and there was a disproportionate amount of reported spider infestations in the residencies. Not that Arwen minded, she loved spiders. The unfriendly stares and glowers, however, she could definitely do without. Not that she wasn't used to them, but here it was almost malicious. A decent town, but a shadow seemed to hang over it at times, and it wasn't just the constantly overcast weather. Always a point in Aaron's book. Uh, sorry, Arwen's book. A definite plus side was the town's close proximity to the city of Erbor, where one could find one more. Find more than one activity to get up to. As much of Merkwood's residents liked to party and immerse themselves in the bar scene, they didn't have many noteworthy clubs to go to, especially her type of clubs even better than the city of Erbor, but much farther away was Gondor. When Arwen had lived in her hometown of Rivendell, or Imladris, as the residents liked to call it, she'd make the trip up there a few for a few days to explore the nightlife and attend the regular hole-in-the-wall goth clubs. Large cities where easy were easy to get lost in, and no one really cared what you looked like. Elodin and Elroher, her identical twin brothers, had moved out of Rivendell a while back to Gondor and had been more than happy to host their younger sister. The two metalheads, who could frequently be seen rocking corpse paint and long black hair, had been the first to introduce 
the then baby bat, Arwen, to the scene. Much to the unhappiness of Alrund, their father, who had always hoped Arwen wouldn't be influenced by her older brother's lifestyles. Arwen always chuckled at the memory of her first visit to, to Gondor with her brothers. Wide-eyed and 19, she'd attended her first goth club. Well, first club at all, really. It was friendly to all ages above 18, but the large sharpie X's on someone's hands made sure you weren't being served alcohol. Her brothers, of course, had kept a very close watch on her, being as protective as they were. That didn't bar them, of course, to getting up to their usual mischief and shenanigans. She'd worn the only black clothes she'd had at the time, Elodin teasing her hair and Elrohar providing the corpse paint. Her brothers had stepped back and grinned their signature this is going to make father so mad grins, causing her to immediately to be immediately disapproving. When she looked in the mirror, Arwen hadn't been sure at all of what of that style, but at the time she hadn't known anything about the darker subcultures or anything to do with them outside her brothers, who'd been at it since they were teens. Something about the pale faced and dark eyed creature looking back at her like her hair like a bat's hair like a bat's nest on her head had sent a thrill through her but she'd never tell them that the grins had only gotten wider eliciting a scowl from her that night as her brothers explained was dedicated to the 80s post-punk and dark wave scene whatever that had meant with a cover band playing music from various bands such as bahas the cure susie sue and the Banshees. Sorry, that was... Yeah. Along with others that Arwen had never heard of. The club had been filled to the brim with people sporting hairstyles called Death Hawks and dark makeup, and it had decidedly been the weirdest thing Arwen had ever seen. And also the best, as she soon realized, she'd always... She'd always interested in more macro, macabre and romantic styles, mostly in literature and movies, but she'd never realized there were whole styles, subcultures, and even music surrounding those themes. Her father's disdain of her brother's styles and tastes had always influenced her as well, so she'd stayed the way she'd always been the good girl, never rebelling and never stirring the pot. In a way, she'd resented her brothers for doing what they wanted and being who they were because it meant responsibility and propriety had always fallen to her, along with all of her father's high expectations. Not that someone's style had anything to do with their level of responsibility, but her brothers had always been troublemakers and free spirits. Her father loved them all fiercely, but his understanding and patience only went so far. That pulled a frown from her as she paused in sipping her coffee, her thoughts temporary, temporarily sorry, being pulled back to the present. Black stiletto nails tapped the side of her cup, red eyes, usually gray, but that's the fun of contacts, staring intensely at the sugar and cream-free substance within. I'd ask if you needed more coffee, but your expression suggests that it doesn't have long to live, a cheerful voice interjected. Glancing up, Arwen's expression relaxed at the sight of her favorite cafe resident, Bilbo. 
The shorter man sported sandy curls, warm brown eyes, and tattoos from the neck down. From what she could see, that is. He was the main barista, and when it was slow, would often wander out from behind the bar to chat. Letting out a soft chuckle, she placed her cup down and smiled at him. Sorry, Bilbo. I hope I'm not scaring customers off with my glowering. And more coffee is never a bad thing. No more... Sorry, no matter how much it's somehow offend, offended me. His eyes crinkling at the corners, he let out a warm laugh that never failed to cheer those around him. Bilbo's facial... Sorry, Bilbo's changes in facial expression also made his many piercings move in what Arwen decided was an adorable way. Hmm, no need to be sorry. If anyone's scared off, it'll be by the music my boss makes me play here, he groused. Well known to the employees was the cafe owner Gandalf's love for repetitive folk pop that he said the hipster youth that frequented cafes loved so much. Grinning at his la at his ire, Arwen finished the last of her coffee in a gulp. Bilbo hurried to fill it, and it was only until now she noticed the coffee pot in his hand. You're too kind, but I doubt the other customers are less a fan of a music than they are of the red-eyed, all-black-wearing creature with bat's nest hair currently sitting in the booth next to the window. She meant it jokingly, but there was a residual undercurrent of apology in her tone. Still couldn't quite get rid of that. Bilbo rolled his eyes, but his gaze had softened. If they're that offended by one of the nicest and most interesting customers I've ever had, they can sod off to the Green Dragon. Bilbelia will be glad for the customers, and I'm sure it'll warm her cold, dead heart by at least a fraction. And besides that, they tolerate the inked-up, piercing-laden creature currently talking to said red-eyed creature. So, from creature to creature, don't worry about it. He winked, and Arwen again remembered why everyone couldn't help but love the guy. Arwen smiled softly, glancing away a little guiltily. Bilbo's steadfast acceptance of her had been unwavering since the first moment she'd walked into the little cafe, and it had always meant the world to her. She'd always felt bad, worrying that her presence in the cafe would disturb the other customers and mess with business. But Bilbo never seemed to care, despite the glowers of the residents at both Bilbo and her. Before she could thank him, the chime of the doors sounded, indicating the arrival of people. Arwen blinked and glanced back at Bilbo, but he was already heading back to the bar. One last warm smile aimed her way as he went. Bilbo had a way with people, even if he didn't know it. He would always manage to make you smile and say that exact the exact right thing without even realizing it. Sighing at the loss of his presence, Arwen glanced at the new arrivals, whose backs were turned to her as they ordered at the bar. Her interest was immediately piqued at the newcomers, whose appearances would stand out in any crowd. From what she could see, the one on the right was tall and slim, their skin a russet reddish brown. They had teased flaming red hair in intricate braids down their back, almost to their waist. The sides of their head were shaved as well, from what she could see. What looked like tattoos sported on the bare skin. They were dressed in what looked like a skirt of various fabrics in different shades of deep greens, 
Their top laced up on all sides with ball sleeves, scarves, and leather belts adorned their waist, and everything about their style that Arwen could see was fascinating. The other being, still with their back turned to her, was smaller and broad and broad-shouldered with light blonde hair. This stranger had both sides of their head shaved, with only two strips of hair left by their ears that were dyed black. White foundation coated the shaved sides of their head, and Arwen could only assume their face as well. The rest of it was styled up into a magnificent, sorry, magnificent, straight-to-the-sky deathhawk. Even Arwen's black hair was shaved on only one side, and more just teased to be big and pushed to the side. They wore pointed pike shoes, much like Arwen's own, which people compared to cowboy boots, ugh, but more r really just boots, with a fierce point at the end. This person's pikes had what looked like skull buckles, don't know what that means, which set the tone of the rest of their look. Ripped fishnets, a shiny leather skirt, and a leather jacket. Was that a Susie Sue patch? Studded with spikes adorned their person. Arwen's heart was thudding, and she didn't know why. She'd practically never seen other alternative types in Mirkwood, from what she assumed was a lack of them. Maybe she'd been wrong. She sure hoped so. Feeling nervous all of a sudden, she quickly realized she'd been gaping at them. Regardless that they couldn't see her, it was rude to stare. Arwen understood the dislike of being stared at all too well. Quickly averting her eyes, she strained her ears to hear any snippets of conversation. A laugh reached her, a clear sound like birdsong, piercing the sil silence in the morning. For reasons unknown, it warmed her to the very bones. Another laugh broke through the quiet lull of the cafe, this one deeper but no less memorable and pleasing to hear than the first, probably at some witty thing Bilbo had said. He was quite good at eliciting laughs and good humor from others. Arwen vag vaguely noted the song playing in the background, some soft-spoken Billie Holiday song that she knew Bilbo would have put on. It was a cafe after all. Gandalf couldn't possibly have a problem with jazz. Quote, walk my way and a thousand violins began to play. Shake, shaking her head to focus, she had the sudden urge to check a mirror and make sure she didn't look like a mess. Almost scoffing at herself, Arwen scowled out the window. There was no reason to get so worked up over two complete strangers who probably wouldn't even notice her presence anyway. Arwen's lack of friends in this new town had not gone unnoticed to her, or even her brothers, who called her frequently despite her assurances that she was doing just fine. Her father also called her quite regularly, even driving up from Rivendell recently to visit her. It didn't help that the residents of her new town usually came off as snooty, treating her, sorry, treating newcomers or those not from there as nuisances and to be treated with suspicion. Her appearance had not helped that either. Many times in her life, she'd considered just giving up and going back to the more conservative and acceptable self that she'd presented to the world, in more ways than just appearance, just so people would stop staring and commenting and harassing her. But every time she'd considered it, she'd immediately push those thoughts away to, 
Yes, sorry. If she couldn't be herself, who could she possibly be? Arwen was so engrossed in her thoughts that she hadn't even noticed the two strangers go to leave, until she caught flashes of movement at the corner of her eye. Turning ever so slightly, she got a full view of them that she hadn't before, and her stomach promptly dropped to the floor. A few kudos on this, and no comments. Okay. Well, um, this work has three chapters, so if this is something you're interested in, you can always go check that out. It's Lords of the Underground by Babadook Babe. So, sadly, upon further inspection, this, um, our next fic, which is number one, um, happens to be of a linear circle with that Roman numeral, uh, by Flamethrower. Um, the author's notes, I was just reading through these, and it says, I do not consent to my work being reposted or used in any unofficial apps or other websites. Um, this work should only be found and read on Archive of Our Own. So, I'm gonna go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt that they don't want me reading this. So, if you were interested, this is, um, part eight of the Of a Linear Circle series by Flamethrower. It is a Harry Potter fan fiction. And let me just reread this summary to you. You can do a lot in two months. And an ex-portrait an ex-portrait and the man who made a deal with death both excel at this, possibly to re to the regret of everyone swept up in their wake. So yeah, if you wanna read that for yourself, you can, but I'm just gonna uh go ahead and not do that one. Alright, so our next one here is number three, which happens to be Effulgence by Zealkin. This is an Overwatch video game fan fiction. For general audiences, it's F slash F. Um, and it doesn't seem to be super long, so there's that. Uh, author's notes, a character study in history of my original character, Rose Lavu. Oh wait, and then in the tags it says black characters. Okay. Anyway, let's get started. She thinks it started with the sun, this fascination of hers with saving the world. Her sun was warm, harsh, vibrant, and violent. It healed, melted, but also grew, fostered, and coaxed. It rested deep inside of her breastbone, softly beating like a second heart. The Laveau name bore responsibility. When her peers had been playing with the latest omnic piece of technology, Rose had been chopping up time or consecrating rooms of endless vases, mirrors and jars under her mother's tutelage. Magic took practice, she would say. It was something you built upon until you were high enough to reach the stars, and Rose had wanted the sun. She had always wanted the sun. Even with robotic intelligence, floating starcrafts, bases on the moon, and the illusion of world peace, people still feared with s sorry, people still feared her heat. 
feared the burning in her eyes as she wished someone well, fear that she saw in their smiles when she saw them the next day and things had gone as she had predicted. Gifted, her, mo her mother had said, prodigious and kind, freak, the children would say, and more often than not, nothing at all. She watched racing because the uniforms were iron-hot red, and there, were, and there was a fearlessness in the driver's eyes that reminded her of her own. It wasn't magic, it was NASCAR, but NASCAR made it easier to make friends. She wore kyanite when she wanted to speak her truth, bedazzled her dresses in drops of citron when she was feeling low, and began wearing neither when she felt those things slowly become inherent in her spirit, in her being. Her mother told her it was time. The ancestral shrine on her bedroom window had been moved to the basement, down waiting with priestesses and conjurers she had seen at the market. She had never pushed her presence onto them, and they had returned the same courtesy, or she had thought. Warm smiles greeted her, as she sat in the middle of the group. It's time for you to meet her, Rose. It was the easiest she had ever slipped into meditation, the hums of her ancestors drawing her further and further into herself until she saw it, the sun at her core, as hot and fiery as she had imagined. Take it, Rose, Marie had whispered. How she knew it was Marie Lavou was simple. No one else had gotten this far. It was for them and them alone. She knew this now. She bloomed. I apologize if I... I probably said that name wrong. Not familiar with that one. After that day, not even NASCAR could keep others near her. She radiated heat, her presence humid, stifling and impossible to ignore. She began watching things that included physical contact, romantic comedies with passionate kisses, which she soon became bored of, figure skating, which soon felt too impersonal to her, the skaters' faces too stiff and smiles too false. She finally found a haven in pro wrestling. The contact was always purposeful and engaging even if it was staged. Any touch she craved. Mardi Gras was which was spent crushing between endless throngs of bodies, became an outlet for her. Her adolescence was colored in hidden kisses and touches that were never prolonged enough, never as complete as, her, as she wanted. Her skin, her skin burned hands, her lips singed tongues. Soon, pro wrestling didn't help much either, but old favorites like Naomi and The Rock had sated her burning which could have easily become violent and misdirected. The static from the 30-year-old recordings rocked her to sleep many a night. Nothing lasted forever, as even the sun would one day wane, and eventually people in town began coming to her for help. At first, people came, at first, people came that needed simple things, like love potions, charms to attract wealth, and sometimes a place to stay from the dark and abusive hands of black-holed people. Rose provided much and was given much in return, but when she was younger and eager for this power, she had not considered that the planets that were richest in life 
kept far away from the sun's reach. No one stayed longer than to give a strained thank you and, pay and a payment. Coins dropped into her palm, the breast, sorry, the barest impression of touch as she felt the lingering heat on the cool old currency. So maybe that's when a recruiter for the Omnic Suppression Forces had rolled into town. She had not been surprised when they came to her doorstep and was even less surprised when she herself accepted their offer. If you leave now, you won't come back whole again, her mother said before she left. Rose knew before then to, sorry, Rose knew better than to discuss her mother's warnings as useless adages, but she went anyway. She could see the future too, and there were warm people like her where she was going. Nursing was a thankless, endless job. There were, was never enough supplies and never enough unbloodied hands, but Rose always found herself breathing above it all, buoyed by her natural talents and the sun that coursed through her veins. When they ran out of antibiotic, Rose brewed garlic, leek, and bile into a replacement. When someone had a complex fracture, Rose was able to piece them back together quicker than anyone. Her magic grew in strength with every bone she sat and wound she stitched back. But even with so many other bright people around her, she still felt people shy away from her. Hold back just a little. Let people figure things out on their own. It makes them feel just as important, a young woman named Mercy had told her. She was the head of the medical bay, her own fire something so brilliant, Rose found herself listening to her advice. When she hinted at a possible cure, she received smiles and answers. When she helped carry another wounded man instead of finding her own, she was invited to poker games after her shift. And on the chance that she did rise to the occasion, she was praised instead of envied. Mercy soon left to mention... Sorry, to mentor others across the world on different fronts that needed her, but Rose continued to take her advice to heart. She had golden hair, top skin, and a warm, bright smile. When Rose found her checked into Medbay for the first time, the woman had thanked God for having such a beautiful nurse. Rose hadn't hidden her smile from her, and she hadn't hidden the dainty, lingering touches she gave her during her stay either. Her name was Ava. Rose had never had someone so close to her without shying away. There were many like her, hot-blooded people that defended her as she dragged their teammates from the field. She even returned the favor on a few occasions. You're a pretty good shot, kid, said, the, said a young man with a Texan draw and a thick leather hat on despite the hurricane season's overcast clouds. She had picked up the gun on reflex when she saw an Omnic get up, one that she previously thought was disposed of and had finished the job before it could get to a new recruit. They had all received basic combat training, sorry, combat training, even as medics, but to end another being's life, mechanical or not, felt strange to her, foreign. For once she had taken something away, with her own hands, and she was unsure what to feel. Despite this, the sun in her continued to thrive. McCree, as he was called, often sat next to her in a mess, in the mess, when he wasn't busy with missions outside of dismantling the factory, he was pouring Splenda on everything he could get his hands on.
Southern connection, he would say, as if that made all the difference. Rose considered that maybe it was when she saw the haughtiness of people who may have been too used to technology running their lives and cleaning up after them. Even the senior officers had that air about them. There was a Mason-Dixon line in the mess hall, and where it was depended on who passed the Tabasco sauce around and who didn't. At least there were people to talk about NASCAR with. You're a lunatic if you think Diaz ain't making it to nationals, McCree said, pouring packet after packet of Splenda into his already sweetened iced tea. It sunk to the bottom and made a crunchy, grainy noise against the cup as he stirred it. Rose grimaced and sipped her own tea. He's too preoccupied. McCree slurped his straw and crunched the fake sugar between his teeth. Yeah, what makes you say that? Just a hunch, she said. She had gotten used to using euphemisms for what her magic told her. It made people less suspicious of her. The lies like the bottomless well of kindness she had begun to draw from other nurses. Strange but unnecessary to her now. Sorry, a necessity to her now. Bet on it, he said. Needless to say, Diaz dropped out a week before finals. McCree had cursed and handed her a 20. The war continued on with no end in sight. The Omnic factories in the south were still operational, and the troops were already tired. Rose was busier than ever. Her remedies had been adapted for full use when resources were low, but even that couldn't stop death from knocking on their door week after week. Soon, people like McCree were shipped out for other facilities where they were needed most. Rose wondered how bad things must have been wherever they were being shipped off to when things were already so bad where she was standing. Ava was a comfort, an anchor to keep her from floating away. Rose thanked her in the little private time she had to herself and held her tight in her arms when she could. Sometimes she thought she held her too tightly. She still thought about the Omnic and meditated long and hard about its death and what it meant. The universe spoke back in whispers so quiet that she had thought she hadn't heard them at all. Of course, there was always an answer. Rose found more and more she was seeking answers in smaller things. A group of Omnics breaking into base camp and her defending the medical bay with her fellow nurses had been one of them. No one told her she belonged in the field. No one told her to pick up a gun, but she felt the answer in the pull of the trigger and the pull of the various sinew of muscles she put back together after they were torn apart. She was between life and death, closer to her son than she'd ever thought she would be. It happened on a Wednesday. She had never liked Wednesdays. They often were too in between everything in to ever have any good come out of them. They were on the precipice, close enough to the factory that victory was within reach. Rose had been successful in most of her missions. Her magic had never failed her, and neither had her team. They advanced early afternoon, the anticipation snapping and crackling in the air with every gunshot and omnic felled. She had seen it before. It would happen much too soon to do anything about it. She saw gold, saw the blue of the blaster, and the pool of red that draped around Ava's form. She broke formation and ran, her team covering for her. 
Ava was losing too much blood for a simple operation. Too much light from her eyes was fading for Rose's next actions to be anything but crucial. There was always a consequence to use using magic without a conduit that could handle the brunt of the task. There were limits. Rose broke hers. She channeled the sun deep within her chest, felt it pour out of her lungs and onto her hands that were caked in Ava's blood. She prayed to Mary to guide her to make it work. Sorry, Marie, I think it is. She could feel it go wrong as soon as the heat was leached from her bones, snatched from her right hand as cold snaked up into her arm like so many crystals of ice. Her arm froze and she felt her world crumble before she passed out. Ava made a full recovery, her arm fully intact. Rose had had to amputate. She was told that the cells in her right arm were unresponsive, the tissue dying and eating away at, at that which had once been alive. Rose felt the eclipse, felt the coolness at her center that could not be abated. She could feel the lost weight when she woke up the day after the operation. No one would look her in the, in the eye, not even a Ava. It was odd being the one on the bed, looking up at everything or anything that distracted her from looking to the empty right side of her. She could still feel the phantom limb of her magic struggle in vain. She begged for it to stop night after night. She could no longer cast. Their unit won three days later, and Rose was discharged shortly after. The prosthetic was heavy, not in its design or physical weight, but its lack of tangible feeling. And the many eyes that followed her, pinning into its false tendons and muscles. In the veteran's benefit check, she received from Overwatch shortly after returning home, and in the notes from fellow soldiers that she chose to ignore, piling up on her bedside table. Most of all, its cool weight was the only thing she felt internally anymore. Her magic, her son, was pitch black. She felt untethered and unfeeling for months, the garden around her house outgrowing itself until the neighbors cut it for her out of pity. She walked over the trimmed grass barefoot and pricked her toes on the cut and torn remains of dead dahlias. She meditated to nothing. Her old community that had once welcomed her, that had once huddled around her warmth like newborns, were now as cold and tight as, she, as the lightweight steel that made up her arm. Her mother spoke to her only when needed, and eventually even that was deemed unnecessary. Unseemingly, too smooth, too refined, inorganic, the weight of her arm was why she was abandoned, left alone in a house that she didn't want watching the garden, left alone in, in a house that she didn't want watching the garden she once loved being trimmed away weakly by unknown neighbors. When the grass was overgrown again, Rose sat in the center of it, trimming it with her fingernails. I like your arm, miss, a voice said to her. The words took her by surprise, and it took her a moment to process them. Before she could respond, he had already run off. His father returned with him in tow, riding on his lawnmower. That was much too outdated. A prosthetic steering the wheel while his organic held his son close to him. He tipped his hat to Rose, and she nodded in turn before retreating to her porch to watch them work. The boy waved when they finished mowing, and Rose hesitated before waving back. A year had passed, and she felt like the grass 
new displaced and aching for sunlight. The people around her, the ones that she had left home to protect, had gotten by after the outbreak, but just barely. The man she saw with the prosthetic was an anomaly. Many had lost homes, appendages, or both to the battles that had come too close, and many more came from different towns away from what the, the small war had wrought. When Rose went into town, for the first time in months, there were many open hands and hungry bellies that she did her best to fill them. When she got home, she opened her benefits check and wrote a letter. One of the worst parts about coming home had been seeing the empty spaces. Her magic was not the only one that had gone. Many conjurers she had grown up seeing had moved elsewhere. The children in town were the bare-bone imitations, the only proof that they had ever been there. They played witch and claimed card tricks were the ultimate proof of sorcery, making faux potions out of Gatorade and Skittles. It wasn't real magic. It didn't have to be. Smiles healed all things in time, and Rose saw the sun leak through the gaps in their grins. Her check had afforded her three more prosthetics, a band-aid, and a wound that was only deepening with time. She left them at people's homes while they were while they ha were sorry, while they were gone. No one needed to know they were from her. She had no desire to be the overbearing son again. She wrung herself dry of new ways to earn money, searching her aging home for answers. All she found were old clothes rotting from mothballs and mites. She shook off a singular black hat and held it up to the light. Children ran outside the window laughing. Rose went out to join them and pulled a rabbit that had been hiding under her house out of her hat. Tricks were simple. They required little real magic and more creativity and forward thinking. She performed in town and people began throwing her change from pennies to quarters to dollars. When she pulled a dozen bright red roses from a girl's afro, she had to carry the money home in her top hat instead of her pockets. Maybe it was because technology had eclipsed what had once been esoteric and unknown. It had made miracles seem constant, but there was always a predictability to it. Even when Omnix rebelled, it was something that could be expected and planned. There was no such parameter for magic. It was that indiscernible feeling about Rose's shows that drew people. She began building up again, reconstructing what she thought she had lost in what she gave away, and the smiles she got in return. For once, she stayed in the orbit of others' happiness and felt herself budding again. She told herself she was ready, could feel again a life in her that she thought had gone barren. For the first time in a long time, she meditated, and for the first time in a long time, she saw the sun. Welcome back, Rose, Marie said. Rose smiled and yielded to the warmth. This has a few kudos on it and only one comment. Wow, and it is a book of a comment. Uh, Knees Spaghetti says, it's Deb from Tumblr. I just started to, I just wanted to start out with this and it's a link. I love Rose so much. Ugh, I am not even sure how to put it into words. The overarching concept of the sun and warmth was beautiful, and I couldn't help but think about how she's just like a rose, reaching toward the sun, how she withered when she got too close and bloomed again, sitting amongst the overgrown grass, with the kindness of that boy and his father. 
I'm so interested in finding out more about her magic. I know little to nothing about conjuring, and I'm excited to learn. It is a strength slash pull of the magic that drives her to crave, touch, slash an outlet of some sort. Or is it that just the way the magic affects her personality? Does her magic interact differently with other people's magic and vice versa? Eyes emoji at Hanzo. And Ava, I'm guessing we'll be seeing more of her later on. I hope she and Rose can make up someday, although it is sometimes hard to confront a friend in hard times, especially when they gave up something to save your life. I don't think she should have just left her out to dry like that. I'm sure Ava has her reasons, but Rose just seems to give and give and get little to nothing in return. I hope things get better for her in the future. Ah, this is so beautiful, and I love your writing. It's very expressive and descriptive, but it's very light in doing so. You set the scene and give details in such a way that captivates the audience but doesn't drench the story in descriptions and endless narrative. Readers have no time to let their mind wander before you bring in the next element of the story, and I love that. I can already tell this is going to be a very brilliant story, and I can't wait to read it. Although I totally can, please take your time and don't feel rushed. All right. Oops, so my next one turned out to be a fan video, so there was nothing to read on that. So moving on to our next one. Our next one is number six, Made Room by Soul Music. This is a Tina Nup rating, F slash M, and it is a Captain America uh, and Captain America the Winter Soldier fan fiction. In the tags, we have black characters, female black character, and the Avengers are all in love with black women because I said so. Um, okay, and this could have mature content in it, actually, I think. No, sorry, that was something else. Never mind. This is a teen and upbraiding. Anyway, Sam Wilson was used to making room. When he was five, he made room for his little sister. He had anticipated a brother because he was full of himself and wanted to play with someone just like him. He moved everything on his shelves to one side and even tried to convince his dad to put the crib in his room. But dad, I promised to pick up all of our toys, not just mine. When she finally came, Sam wasn't too disappointed about her being a girl because she looked like his baby pictures did. And that was close enough. So he still put her stuff on his shelves, but he'd kind of fallen off with his promise to pick up her toys. He occasionally forgot about his own. When he was 16, he made room for little cousin Ricky. Dad was that one uncle everyone threatened to send their kid to when they gave their parents trouble. Aunt Mary was the only one who ever made good on that threat. She wanted Ricky out of Compton. So Sam helped set up the twin bed and tried to help his little cousin find himself. He was convinced it didn't work until Ricky went back home. Sam, he's different. He wants to be a teacher, wants a future, and he talks about you a lot. I owe you, nephew. He didn't mind that he had to share his space so much after that. When he was 22, he made room for Riley Owens, this insane white boy who basically got bunked with Sam because no one else wanted to put up with him. What makes you think I want to? 
but his sergeant wasn't asking. Sam resisted him because Riley ran his mouth too much and got into too much trouble in the barracks. He loved Sam, though, though he was funny as hell and was convinced that they were best friends. After a while, he finally convinced Sam of that, too. Sam was used to making room, and when he couldn't anymore, after Riley died, he thought he'd never have enough room for anything ever again. And years after, when he'd finally been picked up and dusted off, after he became best friends with Captain America and went back into the same world that broke him, he thought that maybe there wasn't any room left. Maybe he was done making room. Maybe this was it. And then he met Nicole Ford. He saw her on the train once. He smiled at her and she smiled back, but she was wearing headphones and he really didn't want to be that guy, but man, she had the cutest nose he'd ever seen. The second time he saw her, they were both in the grocery store at 2 a.m. before closing. He had liquor and chocolate bars. She had cupcakes and coconut oil. Don't I know you from somewhere? Turned into old school telephone calls for hours and coffee dates. She drank tea every time. It was confusing as hell. It's called a coffee date. He told her he worked for the government. He didn't think many people knew the Falcon, the way they knew the Cap, at least. But apparently, he was famous because he came to pick Nicole up from work, and her whole class came out behind her because Miss Ford knows the Falcon. After three months, he and Steve were on a mission, and instead of, you know, giving some orders, he told Sam in the most disbelieving voice he could ma muster, You're still not her boyfriend? I'm 95, and I move faster than that. But he was still messed up and the last thing he wanted to do was ruin a good thing by dragging Nicole into it. One night, he said as much. He thought about it for almost a week nonstop, and came to the conclusion that if he cared about her, he'd let her go and not even burden her with it. So he asked if he could come over one night and brought brownies, pepperoni pizza, and a copy of Friday. Debo and Craig were fighting, and he was about to get knocked out. Maybe it was the building momentum to the conquest that made Sam feel like he was running out of time to say it. Nicole? She was still caught up in the movie and turned her head before she turned her eyes. Yeah? His face must have been telling of his distress because she paused the movie. What is it? He breathed out, turning to her so that they were mirroring one another. She had a legging-clad leg tucked under her in a college t-shirt with her hair pulled into a puff atop her head. He was already regretting this, but there was no turning back. I think we should talk. Her brows arched and she turned the TV all the way off. What's going on? I like you, he started, and they both let themselves smile for a minute because no, that wasn't it. But it was nice to get it out in the open. They'd spent so much time together for the past few months and neither had really addressed that elephant in the room. That's why it made it that much harder, because Sam was about to put it down. I like you. So much. You make me feel so good. He smiles, bringing his eyes up to hers and trying not to think about how glossy hers have gotten. You make me feel like I'm okay. Like I'm good. Thing is, I'm not. I come with a whole lot of baggage, and I don't want to make you carry it. She's suddenly in his space, knees on either sides of his legs, and hands on his cheeks, lifting his eyes up to hers. For a minute, they just look at one another. He feels like he's breaking, and usually that means free-falling in pieces with no idea where he's going to land. But her eyes tell him everything. 
He can look in her eyes and see everything he couldn't. She made room for him. Shut up, she says, her smile shaking. Shut up. We've all got baggage. It's a part of living. You have never made me do anything. And if I had to carry anyone, she pressed her foreheads, their foreheads together, and Sam wishes he could help the whimper that escapes his mouth, but it's free, like he's feeling right now. I'd choose you every time. I'm sure, I sure know how to end a date, don't I? He talks around the tear, he talks around the tears, and they laugh until he's breathing regularly, and then she's kissing him. And that room that Sam was so sure he didn't have any more is suddenly filled up with Nicole. Author's notes, thank you for reading. Let me know what you think and leave some kudos. Um, and this is part one of the Brothers series. This only has a few kudos on it and seven comments. Account deleted says love. Author responds, thanks. Aris Jade 16 says, I love this. So looking forward to more. Author responds, thank you. I hope to get inspired soon. Original C note says, this is so, this is some good stuff right here. Steve's crack that even he moves faster in 95, at 95 was awesome. So many good things. Sam's dynamic with his family, with his old roommate Riley, with his girlfriend. Just these are things that people who write Sam never explore often enough. And I am all about black female positivity, so throw me some of that anytime you want. More please. Author responds, you're my new favorite. This was going to be a, a series, but that's a lot of pressure, so they'll come as I am inspired. But yes, I just love black women, and I think that in a perfect world, i.e. mine, the Avengers do too. Thanks for the comment. And then Original C-Note responds, Hey, if you keep writing Sam this well, you got to be my favorite too. Seriously, out on AO3, Uncle Steve came up with that awesome master list post of Sam-centric stories, and this one definitely fits that criteria, but also this site, God. There is such a dearth of good fic with black female characters, whether they are OCs or established characters in fandom. So I'm going to keep reading. Happy creating over the new year. All right. Okay, so since two of the stories that I picked didn't work out, I went to a whole different randomly selected page, which was uh, 74, and then I randomized out of 20 and got number 13. So um, what we have now is Hawkeye by Nat Nicole. This is a Teen and Up rating, um, and this is a Naruto and Boruto Naruto Next Generations fanfic. In the tags, we have black protagonist, and that's it. So, the summary is only, quote, Who are you? Me? In which a fantasy fan finds himself in a familiar fictional universe, gallivanting around, she does not, she does his, she does his best to survive? What? Okay. Anyway, uh, chapter one, chakra. Sky, grass, I'm alive? Sitting up, the 17 years old Ravenette 
glanced around in utter bafflement. White Forest's green eyes stared at his surroundings as she shifted into a scot. Okay, <laughs> I I have to point this out. the The changing of he and she is something different for me. I gotta I gotta admit, this is going to be very interesting. So I guess this person, um, this seventeen years old Ravenette, um, sometimes goes by he, sometimes goes by she. Author's intelligence level is minus 69. Sorry, I clicked post on accident and I'm at the moment and at the moment can't write a chapter because I have to go to a meeting. We'll do it as soon as I can. Oh. Oh. So this isn't even the beginning? Author's notes. I gave Uchiha Uchiha Okataka these abilities because I literally can't see how she can survive in a universe as deadly hostile as Naruto manga without sur- something that gives him a major advantage. This fanfic would be boring if she died on his first day in the Naruto universe. However, this doesn't mean that my original character, OC, wins every fight she's in, nor does it mean that all situations will go how she wants them to. Okataka can't just kill everyone who is a big threat to him since that just turn him into the entire world's enemy which would mean she can never rest without risk of getting killed by someone holding a grudge okataka also doesn't remember every detail of the naruto verse as his original self doesn't have good enough recall to do so plus butterfly effects will ruin his foreknowledge sooner or later okataka's appearance is a combination of this oh uh, okay all right they're linking things here well this has no kudos and no comments um i have no idea what i've stumbled onto here um this was published in 2020 um i i don't know uh i guess they're just starting out the series and just didn't get to write it yet I don't know why they would post it. Um, they could always just keep this in their drafts, but okay. That was that, I guess. Um, yeah. So I was going to read another fic, but then it turned into um, number 20, uh, which happened to be a Homestuck fan fiction with underage non-con and descriptions of violence i am so wow and it it wasn't even i clicked into it just to see like because i didn't i didn't see that at first i didn't see that it said that at first so i was just like oh okay homestuck whatever and i started reading it and it wasn't very long and then i saw that there's like no comments on it and i'm reading through it and i'm like wait what is this and (laughs) it was just i think this person was trying to be like edgy or something like ugh, i don't know so i'm gonna end it here and just create another part um to read some more fan fictions i i kind of want to get off this page i think this page page is cursed it's page 75 of the black characters tag um so (laughs) I, uh, if you, 
if there's any, if you have any idea of what you want me to read next, please let me know. Um, thank you for listening. And that's it.